Welcome to the Farcast. Over 200 episodes and still going strong, bringing you experts and insiders to help you navigate the investing landscape. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. It is May the 19th. So, folks, this is about the midpoint here in the second quarter, midpoint, second quarter, May 19th. We went through a hellacious month of April and everybody was thinking, well, let's have a little breather now. Well, no such luck, ladies and gentlemen, no breather. The Federal Reserve, of course, increased interest rates a half a point, said they're going to do half a point hikes now. A few weeks before that, they were going to do seven quarter point hikes. Well, we're going to get all of that done really quickly here with these half point hikes. And markets are nervous. And of course, we continue to have world events, but the consumer is nervous. Premium gasoline in a lot of places around the country, well over $6 a gallon. I paid $5.29 last week, but I drove by one at $6 a gallon for premium. Yes, I drive one of those fancy cars that you have to put the premium in, but I still got to put the premium in it and I still had to pay uh, $5.29. I'm going to have to pay $6. This is a big nuisance as far as I'm concerned. It kind of irritates me. I can afford it. I'm very, very fortunate. I talked to my barber. He said, all I do is buy gas for the car, go to work, and then I go home and don't go anywhere because I don't want to use any of the gas and, and, and food's more expensive. We don't have any extra money around and we can't do as much. What does this mean for markets as well as the forecast covers Wall Street, Washington, and the world? We're going to go to Jim Murio. Jim is on the Chicago Exchange and is one of our great friends for the forecast, one of the smartest guys. And even though he looks like he's about 39, he's actually my age and been doing this a long time. Jim, welcome back to the Farcast. Thank you for having me, Michael. And by the way, just to clear the air here, that pisses me off. I wish you would age just a little bit. We are close. We are close to the same age. And I'm telling you, we could win a lot of bar bets. We'd never have to pay for drinks. <laughs> Perhaps, yes. What are you thinking about this market, uh, uh, Jim? I mean, this has been a pretty big drop and people are starting to get scared. I'm not seeing panic, but I'm seeing fear. What are you seeing? Well, well it's funny that you mentioned the panic thing. The VIX, you know, right now at like 32 is not really reflective of the uh, the move down we've had. Normally in a move down like this, we'd see a big spike. So it's been relatively orderly, which to me, okay, there's a couple elements at play there. What's I the think. VIX? Is Will that... you just give us a quick, what is the VIX oh, I'm for sorry. listeners? The VIX is the volatility index. And what that reflects is um, the, the premium put into options. That's yes. how it's calculated. And so it, what it says to me at this level is it's concern, but not panic. Panic to me is above 50 in the VIX. That means those puts that people are trying to, pay, to buy now in a panic are they're paying up for, which by the way, the time to buy puts is when you don't need puts and when they're cheap. The time to, when puts are spiking, that the ship has probably sailed. That's proven time and time again. But I, th I think that that to me suggests there's not much of a panic. And I think again, this whole move has been a readjustment to a higher rate environment. I think there's a lot of other factors that are playing into it, but those are secondary. The primary cause of the weakness is rates going higher. Now, that being said, now this is Thursday morning. So the futures go down and hit down 20% again, like they did last week and rejected it pretty soundly and went up about 40 handles from it right now. So to me, that means it doesn't mean that that's going to be necessarily the floor, but it definitely means that that is an area of significance and of importance. And when we get there again, it's going to be a battle. I think if we go below that level, 
I think that we could go see down 25% on a psychological support level, but the real technical support isn't down 32. I think that's certainly possible. I don't think it's a terrible thing. I think that you need to have significant corrections to get people to remember what it is we're dealing with here. When you go 10 years and all it does is grind higher due, due to low rates, primarily in my opinion, that people forget the risk element of it. So you can't get these tremendous rewards without risk. And this is the reminder that risk is coming. I've rambled a lot here, Michael, and I apologize. No, no, no. I think everything you said is very important. Uh, but the, I guess here what you said is that we are hitting a technical support and sort of translated, ladies and gentlemen, from is that we're going to we'll probably put a little bit of a bottom in here. These, this market is probably ready to stop falling and put in a bit of a bottom and bounce. And you'll see a rally and folks who are buying a lot of this stuff that has really been going down a lot. And there haven't been that many of you, by the way, who've been buying this stuff as it drops. But if, if you have, you're going to get some relief. And it's one of the nicknames for this kind of a bounce. It's a relief rally. Well, you might be asking far, Yurio, why isn't this the rally rally? Why isn't this downturn over? We made it about down 20%. That's what a bear market's supposed to be. And then it goes back up again. That's what's happened for the last 10 years. Jim, why shouldn't we trust this particular bottom? Well, look, just because it hasn't given me any indication that it's a bottoming pattern yet. If we try that level again, still can't break it. We trade sideways for a little bit. People get sick of trying the downside. Uh, then perhaps I'll believe it's a bottom. Right now, like we said about a relief rally and bear market rallies, relief rallies, whatever you want to call them, they can be vicious. And what their job is to do is to convince you that it's the real rally. That this is and it. That's what, yeah, that this is it. And as soon as we all, well, not all of us, because Michael and I are, you know, clearly we know everything. But if, as soon everything. as a bunch of people, a bunch of people start saying, well, this is it, this is the real rally, the bear is over, that's when that relief rally is probably over as well. So, um, so yeah, I think that just there's a lot, I can't see a reason fundamentally to jump in and start buying the stock market too. I think that, that higher rates are a big deal to stocks. And I think that's why we bought it for years. Again, one thing I will point out though, that when people, Michael and I age, we saw the tech bubble and we saw the real estate bubble. And one of the hallmarks of those two bubbles was that down to like, you know, I, I thought call it Thanksgiving table leverage where your, your brother-in-law, and I know I say this all the time and I'm sorry I repeat myself, your brother-in-law who's an electrician starts talking about borrowing money to buy tech stocks, borrowing money to buy homes and then flip them and make a profit. As soon as the leverage has gotten down to where the weak hands are in and they can't take it, we go, that's when a real bubble implodes. And by the way, I didn't see that built up no. of weak leverage in the stock market. You know what I mean? 18%, well, no, I mean, in the real estate market, 18% of the new homes that were being bought over the last two years were corporate investment interests. BlackRock doesn't respond the same way to a margin call as my brother who's an electrician would. I don't no. have a brother's electrician. He's mythical. But anyway, go on. <laughs> he, 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 poor guy takes a lot of hell on this show. I hope, you know, it's going to make a rough Thanksgiving, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? So, okay, so what I'm, Jim, you know, what we're not saying yet is why we think the market has further to fall. And my answer is until you see the Fed stop raising, you can't say that the market has stopped lowering. Until the Fed stops going up, the market can continue to go down. They're changing the rules. Changing interest rates changes the rules for managing a company, your costs, your costs of everything. And then we're complicated with the supply chain issues. So it's almost if there's a magnifying effect, in my opinion, magnifying effect to what the Fed's doing, because part of this inflation they can't control. 
Right. And what, what you mentioned is that I said we're, get, we're adjusting to a new rate environment. And you're saying we, we can't adjust properly until we know what that new uh, rate environment is. And I agree with you 100%. I fully believe that there's going to be two more 50 uh, basis point hikes. If yes. that 20 if that 20% floor cracks and we go into the ether there on the downside where people don't know where the next level is going to be and the Fed has already raised you know, 50 and 50 or getting close to it, that's when I think they will um, begin to adopt a different attitude and people can at that moment start to think of what the rate picture is going to be. And I think that's going to take another couple of months. And by the way, midterm years tend to be poor in the stock market, but once October hits, the month before the election, they do tend to find footing and start to head higher. Now, I'm not a big fan of future of a past performance, you know, of past pad. I guess I am because I'm a technical analyst, but that's happened a ton of times before. And I think it could happen. The time frame works out. There are folks who are listening going, well, geez, uh, Urio and Far, why, I should sell this then because you guys think this is going lower. So I should sell and I should wait for it to go lower and then I'll just buy it back in September. Is that what you guys are telling me to do? Ladies and gentlemen, I assure you it's not. Jim, tell it's them. Not, it's, it's not at all. What, what, I, what we talk about on this show, what I talk about particularly, and again, I, I tell you what I do. I don't give advice to people unless they're, unless they're clients of mine and I know their risk tolerance, but you rebalance in January, you rebalance after a good year in order to be able to take these downturns and add to it at the end of the year. It's not when everybody else is selling, it's not the time to sell, particularly in tax uh, um, in accounts where tax gains are actually taxed. Why would you want to be giving money to the government, in my opinion, where we could be wrong and 20% actually might be the bottom bottom. I don't think it's the bottom, but I, I think that, um, you know, buy and hold works provided you rebalance. We, we always say, uh, uh, bears can make money, uh, bulls can make money, but pigs get slaughtered. And the way I interpret that in this instance is that if you just made 30% in a year on your equity uh, portfolio and you didn't rebalance, well, then you're getting a little bit too greedy. And now you're reminded why you're supposed to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I, well, it, it does. The, the other part is markets do this. Know that markets do this. They, they, do, they do go down. And Jim and I have seen this, and I, I, I'm sitting at my desk in 1987 watching the floor fall out, and, and there were a whole bunch of things going on back then, and we're not seeing that kind of bubble burst that we had, nor are we seeing the kind of bubble burst that we saw after the 1999.com rally that lasted for almost two years. But this, this can last a while, and that the thing that markets aren't used to and new investors aren't accustomed to is that things really can take time. The Fed's not coming in to fix this downturn. In fact, the Fed is trying to stop the upturn, and they could cause a more profound downturn than they'd like, but they're willing to do that. They're willing to go ahead and risk a recession rather than runaway inflation. This is what we think, but because we don't know, Yuri Onfar truly don't know what's going to happen over the next three or four months, we follow our discipline. And that's what I'm, we're encouraging you to do. Be very, very disciplined. You have a long-term investment plan. We're going to come out the other side of this. Is it going to be a year or two years? I don't know, maybe, but it'll happen. Or the world will end and then nothing will matter. Uh, if the world ends, just don't worry about a thing. And if the world doesn't end, all of this stuff every other time has come back and corporate America will not, has not failed and, and we'll be there on the other side and, and, and make a few shekels here. Jim? Can I say we have one more thing? I don't know if we're running late on time, but I'll, I'll throw a bone and something that I think we can concentrate on that might be a positive. That 20% level we've talked about a couple of times. If we break that level, 
and you know prod maybe down a percent or so and then reject it and come back above it that will go a long way in making me believe that that's actually could be a real floor it's not i don't think i'm going to jump in and buy it with both hands but that might be something that makes me feel good about it and again i agree with you 100 i think that that this is what is supposed to be happening um yeah. i think that you know, the three million, three and a half million people that left the workforce over the last two years ahead of schedule, part of that was really enthusiastic um, assumptions about equity returns going forward. And those assumptions were unwarranted. But we had had 10 years of just a grind hire that was based not as much on market fundamentals as it was on uh, what is it? What do you say? There is an alternative. Tina, right? There is no alternative no. when you can't invest in anything else. So you invest in stocks. So I think we're in a spot where we're actually this is, is the rebalancing of normalcy is, is kind of happening. And I like. It. Yeah, well, it, it makes us a little bit calmer because on the other side, uh, guys like Jim uh, and me, when when we see markets just going up and up and up and up and up and we can't come up with any real explanation fundamentally as to what's driving that, we get equally nervous. Um, uh, we get equally nervous. We can't figure out if there's no there there why the things keep going up. That's one of the reasons we've been watching retail stocks and these retail earnings, because those retail earnings tell us two things that are really important. One, what is the consumer doing? Is the consumer who drives 70% of the US economy, are they still spending and driving the economy? Do they have the money to do it? And number two, can the corporations, can these retailers pass along the increased costs that they're facing? Do they have pricing power? Pricing power is key in here for those companies that are going to fare better. We're going to ask Stephanie Link about all of this when she comes on for our third segment this morning. Can't wait. We're going to get to Dan Mahaffey in just a second and say goodbye to our friend Jim Urio right now. Anything else to add, Jim, or a word to Fred and Ethel? No, I, 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 not, nothing really to add. I think we've covered a lot. I'd keep an eye on oil, too. If oil starts to crack, that could be the last the last. Um, Thing too, although it's good long term that we'd be paying less prices. I think a lot of the stock market is being propped a little bit by the energy names too, but that could be uh, could be what breaks. But again, I think uh, I, I think it's not not the end of the world, and I think that we'll we'll be looking back on this in a few months, and uh, all will be good. It's the beginning of an opportunity. You look over twenty percent, almost off of the highs. Everything's on sale, twenty percent. Think about this as a sale. That's the way Buffett's thinking about it. Things are going on sale and the rest of us are just kind of, uh, you know, rubbing our hands together saying, gee, will it go more on sale? Will it go more on sale? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Jim Urio, Managing Director of TJM Institutional Services, Veterans Futures Op Options Trader, Floor of the Chicago Exchange, and our great friend on the Farcast. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Michael. See you. See you. We'll be back with Dan Mahaffey right after this. We're glad you could join us this week on the Farcast. Now back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back. Joining us now, as he always does, God bless him and keep him, is the great and the brilliant Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. And also, of course, his most important title, the one that means the most to him after all these years, he is the senior political analyst on the Farcast. Welcome back, Dan. Well, thank you, Michael. You're, you're always far too kind, as always. Five years here, Dan, and you've helped our listeners so much, and me, uh, in understanding what's going on on Capitol Hill and around the world politically with the U.S. And all of this brings has uh, bearing back to the markets and investors and the economy. You have to understand the world, and you have to understand 
really policy and Washington and what's driving things. We talk a lot about what's going on at the Fed. We've, uh, Dan, we sort of touched on what's going on at the Supreme Court. I've had people uh, upset, lots of folks upset about what's going on on the Supreme Court. But more than anything lately, I've heard about these protests at the justices' homes and how people think that that's just really wrong. You shouldn't be able to protest at a private home. Have you heard any of that? And, and, and do you have any thoughts for us? I mean, it really right. is kind of an extreme step to say, okay, I'm going to go stand on your lawn. Yeah. I'm upset with what you're doing at work. Yeah, look, I, I'm sympathetic to that, although there will be people who say that uh, the court is crossing a line into their bodies and yes. uh, extremism on both sides brings out the worst in everyone. Uh, I, I think the the issue there is as a, as a society, how do we get back to the the grace and civility? Um, but also understand that I you know I think there's a difference between perhaps a uh, a, a daylight vigil or something like that through a neighborhood. You don't need to pick it, but um, obviously avoiding violence, intimidation, you you'd want to avoid those things. Um, you know there's there's other things too where I get I get a little uh, grain of salt when I see some of these stories because. Um, for a politician to request police uh, protection, they have to have the perception of a threat. So if you want to get police there and not have to pay for it, you have to feel threatened. And therefore, to feel threatened, you you can take the, the slightest thing and make it uh, make it bigger. Right. Understand. Understand. I, I, I was uh, uh, hearing from uh, one of the justices uh, wives uh, who said, I just I can't go to the grocery store. I, I'm just I, I can't do anything right now. And so there are a lot of families and things. And, I, I I just feel bad for the for the human side. On I, both I, I sides, feel bad, and gentlemen, the, I'm not yeah, taking sides. I'm I'm just yeah. simply saying, you know, this is this is this, this is this is what happens to a society when you tear apart established precedents. Exactly, and you so, break down institutions. Dan, the president is traveling this week, correct? Yes, uh, and is heading to Korea and heading to Japan. Tell us about this trip, and he's meeting with mm -hmm. the Quad. Who who are the Quad? The Australia. Quad, yeah, the Australia, Japan, India, and of course us. Uh, look, that's seen as the new Indo-Pacific framework. The, they want to also move forward with what they are calling the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, which is a rather novel concept for economic engagement. Look, they know they can't, you know, Trump really shot us in the foot, pulling us out of TPP, a Trans-Pacific Partnership, even though uh, that congressional passage was unclear. Biden politically can't go back to that because of the pressure from the uh, sort of the Democratic establishment. They're, they're somewhat dinosauric thinking on trade. Uh, so they're trying to figure out some way to put the economic leg on the stool. Look, we've got the security side. We've got the technological side. What's the economic and trade tools that they can bring? But uh, look, I think there's part of that. So shoring up the economic side, although I question how much they can do, there's going to be that where's the beef question for Biden because he can't deliver market access. He can't deliver any of those types of things absent a, a real trade deal. So what are what are the Asian partners really going to get out of this other than than closer ties with the U.S.? Uh, right. He wants to shore up their support for our for Ukraine as well. Look, Asia um, has been somewhat reticent, other than Japan and South Korea, to really move hard on Russia. They're they're they don't see this as their conflict, uh, particularly India as well, because of their their close ties to to Russia. Uh, and then finally, it is trying to uh, while we are focused on Ukraine, that sense of walk and chew gum at the same time. We need to focus 
on China. That's the long-term pacing challenge. So how do we build that that alliance? Okay, so what is there? what does the president need to accomplish here? Are there any gets that he can do from this trip? I mean, one thing I know, uh, you know, after sixty years of being uh, a Washingtonian, is that when presidents get in trouble, they travel. Yeah. Presidents get in trouble, <laughs> they travel. And we've seen our president here traveling around our country, and now they're doing the international thing. Um, you see vice presidents travel when they when they represent too much of a thorn to the president, mm -hmm. um, uh, when they when they might be taking a little bit too much. You know, uh, the vice president name here turns into yeah. vice president. You know, you die, we fly Harris. Um, <laughs> And they, yeah. uh, and, and, well, and they, when, they when the, when the actuarial tables turn on other foreign leaders, that's what when the vice president is called. Pretty much the vice president travels to all yeah. the state, other state leaders' funerals. So Biden's traveling. Are there any gets? I mean, so this sends a message to China, right? It sends a message to China. I, look, I think it would be, can you get some sort of economic plan or package so we don't end up in situations like we have again with the Solomon Islands, for example, where, where the Chinese are moving in to build basing and economic deals there? So how do you how do you create uh, anti-corruption measures to, to keep... Uh, you know, Chinese bids and Chinese corruption from from warping these things. You know, these are things that aren't sexy big wins, but uh, I would have to say they're accomplishments if you can get them. I'm, I'm being realistic about this. Uh, certainly, it is also a, a reflection that the, the domestic agenda is stalling. Um, and it is finally a way to say, look, we are doing something on supply chains because that is something all these countries all right. also are concerned about, too. Okay. And supply chain issues and, 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 right. and addressing that and building our relationship with India. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised we, the Indians don't love us, do they? Uh, no, look, India, we've talked about this in past episodes. India has always strongly believed itself to be a non-aligned nation. It does have a muscle memory of, of working closer with the Soviet Union and then Russia. Uh, it's going to take time to move them away. There's talk in Washington and, and Delhi about a arms deal from the U.S. that would help them move away from Russian kit, accelerate that. Uh, look, this is as much a strategic and mindset shift that India has to go through as well. It's It, it takes two to tango. Uh, and we need to be understanding of that in, in working with them and, and not repeat some of the mistakes of saying we're going to dictate to India how they're going to be our ally. Instead, let's talk to India about what we can be partners on. This sounds like it's a pretty important trip for the president and a pretty important trip for our country. These alliances are, 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 are clearly vital for us. And sending this message to China right now uh, Xi Jinping is uh, intent, of course, upon mm -hmm. spreading Chinese influence That's through right. that part of the world and the rest of the world. And this is the attempts to actually tap the brakes for him, uh, ring right. fence what he's trying to do a bit, and we'll see how he how he responds. What and then, and then finally, I, I finally I'm not sure the one the other advice I'd have is uh, I'll segue into this one. I don't know how close the White House is following this and, and what goodies they can bring or what they can do. Shoring up the current Australian government is is rather important. They're going into an election uh, and there's there's questions about their tough on China approach. So continuing to strengthen the Australian partnership, as well as working with the uh, the potential opposition that could take power to at least continue to to smooth a, a consistent approach towards China. That's going to be key on Australia. Um, I look. My advice to the president is is more uh, broad, which would be 
break out of the ideological blinkers and go big on a trade deal with the region. Uh, big on a trade it, deal with the region. What would that look like, Dan? And we it would look like us trying to get back into Trans-Pacific Partnership, and it would take it's something where. Uh, you know, I think it would be perhaps dead on arrival in Congress. It would be symbolic in many ways, but it would show that, look, the, the leadership of the United States uh, is not falling back to old orthodoxies on trade. And we're going to engage in economic engagement with Asia and the region. But, uh, you know, that's that's my wish list. All right. And now let's circle back, Dan. Uh, developments in the Ukraine and this war. Mm -hmm. uh, what's happening with uh, Vladimir Putin. We talked last week. He had a blanket over his legs. They were helping him up and helping him down. Uh, they are um, uh, trying to try, try, trying to pull their act together uh, a little bit better. What's going on over there? And and mm -hmm. will Vladimir Putin survive this? W will they say, okay, uh, right. thanks, comrade, for your service. Yeah. See you. Wouldn't want to be you. Yeah. Well, I think you know, it's still wishful thinking that he will pass away or be passed away. Uh, but the question is, who, who would replace him? And a lot of them are still the same ilk of security well, hang types on. trained we in do, the Soviet Before Union. we do the yeah. who would replace him, before we do the who would replace yeah. him, let's, let's just say, what are the odds really that they can shove Putin aside with the generals, the somebody, how, what are the odds he goes if he's truly enfeebled? Uh, 15 Twenty percent, I would say. I, I would not put it at a at a high thing. You know that you the system could operate in a very weakened at Bernie's type way for for quite a while as well. You know something we would we would have to to track. Um, look, we we know that the the Russian leadership is somewhat uh, divided on this. We're already hearing voices. A very prominent military analyst on state television talked openly about how it's how it's gone yeah. down the, yeah. the question about this is what happens all the, to that the, guy what happens to the guy who talks on well that's a, that's television? a question that always happens in authoritarian system when when things go wrong does the top purge down does the middle purge up or does the bottom rise up yes and what's your we, bet here i mean my bet here usually you have it's more in the russian model it's more the middle rises the middle takes care of the top you have that palace coup type model. That's been much more the the Russian way of doing things. Uh, but I again, none of these guys are, that are in the next tier are are really angels of any kind. They are ex-KGB. They have Soviet economic thinking. They're, they're fine with what we're seeing of the nationalization of industries. They, they'll continue the war. They don't care if Russia's well, a but, but hang on, Dan. I mean, if I understand you can come in as one of these ex-KGB guys and just be just as much of a, you know, hard ass as Putin. And, and But you also could be a little bit more of a realist. You could be less of the of the idealist who says this is what we're doing in the name of Mother Russia and look up and say, wow, we're really screwed here. Our economy's in serious trouble. We're not making any progress over here. Mm -hmm. This is the baton death march all over again. We're going to pull in our reins a bit. We're going to get recentered. We're going to focus on the economy. We're going to build back Russian strength in a different way, right? I mean, you you could see that. Yeah, I, I would I would love to have the Russian build back better Biden come to power uh, over there. Uh, I don't think that's that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna happen anytime soon though, because if you look at what they're thinking, it is much more about this longer term struggle with the West, uh, access to the Black Sea, controlling resource and agricultural markets this this is more than just those uh 
those territories in the in the east of Ukraine. So at, at what point does it become that economic message? But it, I, I think they're willing to take a lot more pain. You know, I had, uh, you know, my, my children are now uh, adults, but when they were younger, the fastest way to get them to do something was tell them not to do it. And Russia told Sweden and Finland, for, you better not join NATO. Don't you dare join. Don't you dare cross the street when I'm not looking. And of course, they're both now uh, yeah. applying to NATO. What does that mean, Dan? And then we've got it. We've really got to go very quickly here. Uh, well, it changes the strategic calculus, particularly in the Baltic. And we get two great allies further deepening their relationship. Finland, uh, a great country, a, a gritty, resilient country. Sweden, strategically important, also a, a long military tradition. Two two great partners we have joining NATO. But they can't, they can't, they don't do they really contribute? I understand philosophically that we're together. Look, yes, Finland. I would say Finland does. Uh, Sweden does as well. Finland, particularly though, a, a particularly strong military, a civil military. They well, Finland has lived like they're about to be invaded by Russia for their entire existence, and they know well that they have been. Uh, so this is, uh, a, again, a good partner, particularly with the Finns and the Swedes. You know, we're not bringing on any uh, loafers into the alliance. So much to talk about, Dan. Thank you so much for your insights. As always, good to talk to you. We're going to be back with Stephanie Link, my uh, great friend, partner and colleague, who is the chief investment uh, officer, strategist, chief investment strategist at Hightower Advisors. I happen to be the chief market strategist for Hightower Advisors. We're going to hear what she thinks about these markets and world events when we come back on the Farcast. Please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. Thank you for joining us on the Farcast. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. A great treat now, ladies and gentlemen, as promised. My friend, the famous, the fabulously brilliant Stephanie Link, the chief investment strategist at Hightower Advisors. Welcome back, Stephanie. Hi, Michael. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're so glad to be with you, particularly in this tumultuous time, Stephanie. You know, it's always uh, good to get to talk to you when things are doing well and, and going up and we're trying to navigate, you know, what we're going to do with all the money we're making. That's not where we are now. What a tough month April was. May, even worse. Retailer earnings getting killed. And, and I think investors are getting a little worried. What do you think's going on? Give us your read. Yeah, so I, we, we've talked about this for a long time that 2022 was going to be choppy, right? And choppy because there's so many uncertainties. And the market, while we know always climbs a wall of worry, these are a lot to get through. It's a Fed 
changing, pivoting to a tightening cycle or a tighter cycle. It's inflation that has been very persistent and it likely stays elevated. Uh, we have war and we have China. So there's so many things to get through. And so from January to mid-May, we saw multiples contract. We talked, we've talked about that a lot, right? So we went from 21.7 times in January for the S&P 500, that's the PE, right? Um, to about 17 times most as of late. Um, and it's changing rapidly by the day, right? I mean, it's really quite incredible. But what happened this week and why I think we've seen even extra volatility is because we did get those retail earnings. Big companies like Walmart and Target, who usually can weather through the storm of choppiness and kind of the volatility uh, and the inconsistency of the consumer, they both really had taken a step back. They built, overbuilt inventories. Uh, and unfortunately, at the same time, the consumer has decided to shift, which we've talked about as well, from goods to services because there's all that pent up demand. Services, I mean, like going out to eat, yes. uh, travel and that yes. sort of thing. And so I thought it was interesting that Target specifically said people are not buying those big TVs like they did last year when they were staying at home. They're buying luggage. So they're huh, still yeah. buying they're still buying, but they're buying differently. And so the question now becomes, is this just a specific issue to consumer discretionary Walmarts of the world targets, or is this the beginning of something much more broad based? And I will say this one last thing. Um, so far earnings have been pretty good. It hasn't been, that hasn't been the problem. Earnings are actually up about 12% for the first quarter. But again, the question is, is this just a specific issue for, the, the this one sector in the in the economy, or is it something that we should be more concerned about? And that's what we're flushing out at this moment. Right. And, you know, uh, I think there's been, oddly, a bit of an inventory build that we saw for retailers coming into the end of the year. Retailers were ordering double and triple stuff just so they could get half during the pandemic through the supply chain. All of a sudden, talking to retailers, we heard, Stephanie and I heard, about mid-December, all the way through January, they got full orders. All of a sudden, they the two and three times worth of stuff that they ordered, they got, and they didn't have places to store it, and they had to put it on sale and clean out the inventories. So a lot of these margins were affected by that surge. The other thing that retailers have to do is they're ordering right now for next January. They're ordering their spring collection for next year now. And if you think about that, you say, well, I mean, springtime and everything. But go back to what Stephanie just said. Those big TVs that sold like hell. If you're sitting here this year saying, I've been selling TVs, I can't keep TVs on the wall. I wonder how many I'm gonna need next year. I wonder if we're coming out of the pandemic. I wonder if this vaccine's gonna hold. I mean, these have been remarkably difficult calculations and guesses that these folks would have to make in very abnormal times. So it's not, probably shouldn't be a great surprise that they're missing on some of these areas. But to your point, these are great companies, very well managed. They will get through this. But this is something you've been talking about, Stephanie. I'd like you to talk about it again, the importance of that flight to quality trade. You've been saying this for at least a year that you had to go to quality. Tell us about that now and, and what you think quality does and how does quality survive a market like this? Sure. And you and I are on the same page, actually. Uh, we really are. We may own different names, but we're on the same theme. And, and in times of volatility, in times of uncertainty, you want, I, I say quality, what, what does that even mean? It means companies that are best in breed, 
maybe number one or number two in the in their respective industries. They have proven execution. They've got great balance sheets, free cash flow generation, um, and flawless execution. So all of these things I think are important. In addition, they either are buying back stock, increasing their dividends, or they have um, elevated dividends and they, that, that, are, that are well covered. So these are kinds of names that they may be a little boring um, and maybe not as glamorous as some of those high flying tech, tech stocks that we've seen over the last several years that really have done so well, the non earners, if you will. But I think you really do want to come back to when it is in general, even in, even in more certain times, earnings, revenues, strong margins, good cash flow, good market share. And that's always very important. And I know you and I are doing this right now when these kinds of companies go on sale because the overall broader market goes, comes down, that's your opportunity to actually upgrade in a portfolio. So you don't have to own a number three or four player. You can get the number one player down 20% when it's when long-term the, the, the visibility and the growth is there. It's really an important time to be very disciplined, as 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 Stephanie's saying. Uh, and yes, quality. And if you can improve the quality, improve the quality. You know. Yes. And uh, sadly, uh, some of you will have some capital losses. Okay, there's some tax management there, but stick with a plan. You know, uh, we rebalance on a regular schedule to keep us keep our emotion out of it, and I think that's really important to do. One of the things, Stephanie, you and I have been talking about for companies that we would like are companies with pricing power. Yeah. And perhaps there's a runway where you run out of pricing power, uh, particularly for retailers, maybe not for services, but boy, I drove by $6 a gallon gasoline yesterday in Washington, D.C. on my way. I'm in Austin, Texas uh, this morning uh, for a conference. I'll be back in Washington tomorrow, but uh, $6 a gallon and, and as I mentioned on, on, on uh, CNBC the other day on Halftime Report, my, my barber says, I buy gas, I work all day, I buy gas, and I go home, and I stay there, because between gas and food, he said, I just can't afford with my family to do much more. It's interesting that you say that, um, because we all have to be very sensitive of that, because we all eat every day. We all get, we fill up our tanks pretty much once a week or twice Does a week. Does the Fed not know that? I mean, they always want to tell us that we have to look at this inflation numbers, excluding food and energy. I don't do anything excluding food and energy. I know, especially now, because these two no. areas are really the areas where you're seeing inflation. Food prices up on average 16% from the most recent PPI. Um, and that's a pretty big number. Gasoline up 39%. Wow. Uh, that those are year over year numbers. And, and you know, that's that's real. It hits into, into the consumer. So I'm very mindful and respectful of that. Here's something that's interesting to think about, Michael. And, and I wanna ask you about it. If, 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 if Walmart and, and Target, and let's just say others in the consumer discretionary world, if they, are, if they have so much inventory, they are going to be or forced to, or they will willingly uh, lower prices, right? Yes. If, if, if they're trying to gain market share against all the packaged food companies or all the beverage food and beverage companies, yes. that's what's going to happen. The food and beverage companies are, are going to have to follow. So in a way, that might be good news on the inflation side. What do you think of that? Uh, you know, I was surprised yesterday, but I think it's exactly a, a, an excellent point. You you, um, you make, if you looked at Procter & Gamble and Pepsi and Mondelez yes. and those big consumer companies, 
consumer staples had their worst day yesterday since March 2020. And I think it came after that Walmart and Target earnings and some of these other retailers where you people put together two and two, uh, at least a few of them did, as to what you and I are talking about. This is why everybody's going to have to come down. Margins are going to come down during an inflationary period. So one of the things I'm saying um, is you, you don't know, you can't count on a bottom until the Fed has established a top. You can't count on a market bottom having been made. You can't trust it as long as the Fed is still changing the monetary environment. So caution, I think, has to be the rule. And I'm not sure if I've been more cautious than, than, than you have been. I don't know that it would change our investment actions, but, but I, I'm cautious and, and, and I'm, I, I also think recession is going to come in here and, and we get through these things. We have these things. I don't know when, this year, next year. But but the Fed has just such a difficult job now. What? No, oh, they they absolutely do. And now you have so you might have a little bit of easing on the pricing side for the consumer on goods. Definitely not yes. in services. I mean, get on an airplane. You're in Austin. I mean, you probably pay, paid a couple thousand dollars for your for your airfare. Um, but we're at least on the good side. If we have a little bit of a relaxation, and if you have initial claims that now are slowly inching higher, perhaps maybe. The Fed doesn't have to do as much, but we'll have to see. The problem is we don't know and they don't know. And that's, that's right. why the market is struggling. And that is why we want to we want to stick with our disciplines, stay long term, look for opportunities uh, to, again, to upgrade. And, uh, and and really, at the end of the day, Michael, I will make big sector bets in times of more certainty. This is not the time to make sector big sector bets. So. Um, stay, you know, not over your skis, stay within, stay within your lane and find good companies and trust that we've been through these things before. We'll right. get out of it to your point. It's just a little rocky in the, in the time for the time being. Two things Stephanie just said, folks, please listen to Stephanie Link when she says this. One, it's not a time to take on excess risk. So no venturing into the thin branches of risk here. Stay close to the trunk. This is a time when you want to make sure you have a seat when the music stops. Yes. The other thing that she said, folks, that I want to reiterate, and Jim Murio said it in his segment today, every seasoned professional that I believe is trustworthy, uh, worthy of your trust, let me, let me say that word a little bit differently, worthy of your trust, will say what she just said. What we have to know is that we don't know. We don't know. And because we don't know, we're going to take a very safe course. We're going to stay prudent. We're going to stay disciplined, dispassionate, and dogged in our research and in our investment discipline. That's what we have to do. Stephanie, I think that that's really the most important point. And what would you tell finally here, because we, I can't believe it, we got to go. You're so great. I always learn so much when you're, when you're with us. What would you tell Fred and Ethel, our individual investor, who say, you know, I'm, I'm scared? I think it's normal and natural to be scared. Um, and uh, I would say turn off the TV, even though Michael and I do that for a living. Um, the TV scares people. Uh, it scares me, quite frankly. So I turn yeah. it off. And to just to rely on people like Michael who do this for a living and we'll get through it. And everything you just said about not knowing, it's very, it's very true, it's a little scary, but leave the, the, the investing to the professionals and Michael is one of the all-time best. 
Uh, bless your heart. Stephanie Link is the Chief Investment Strategist at Hightower Advisors. She's a CNBC contributor. Please take it off a of mute when you see Stephanie on. You're going to learn something, I promise, every time. Stephanie, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks to you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another Farcast. Thank you for being with us again this week. We will be back next week as we help navigate Wall Street, Washington, and the world in Austin, Texas. I'm Michael Farr. We'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Farcast. Thanks to Michael's guests, Jim Urio, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, Stephanie Link. The Farcast comes to you weekly. It is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcast platforms. We love hearing from you every week, and we try to respond to all of your notes and suggestions. You can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed and provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Farm Miller in Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help. And I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Please share the forecast with friends and colleagues. Go beyond the headlines each week with the forecast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Bar Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Hightower Advisors LLC, Farm Miller in Washington, or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented as to entity entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisor for related questions.